today focuses on the way of trust. And I'm about to tell you a very trade secret here. I shouldn't be revealing this, but I will. I know, he just gave me the what? Are you serious? You're going to do this? There is a big book of sermons. And in this big book of sermons, there are many a diagram. And one of them is on how to deliver a sermon. And again, it works like this, like how to deliver a sermon. Is your sermon on this? If yes, then go here. If no, go here. Familiar with these diagrams? Yes. Very good. No, you are not, sir. Okay. Well, it's, it's like just you follow the yes and the no. So mine went like this. Are you giving a sermon? I answered yes. I had to go to this box. It said, is this sermon on trust? I said yes. It went down to, are there children present? I said yes again. It said, do a trust fall, all will go well. So I have selected Carson. Where is my volunteer? Here he comes now. Let's give it up for Carson. Now, in order to, I have, we have not rehearsed this. Never have we rehearsed this. Is that correct? Fantastic. Now, in order to demonstrate a trust fall, I first must explain what said trust fall is for those of you who know and then for those of you who don't know. So what is going to happen is I'm going to tell him, you're going to fall. It's bright, right, bro? Try looking at like, what I do is I look right back there. There's no lights there and there's no lights there. But keep it low and kind of dim, but keep the smile. People want the smile. Now... (laughs) I will tell him, you will fall back, and I promise, you can trust me, I will catch you. And he will say, okay, like he did, that was perfect, and we didn't even rehearse it. Then when he falls back, I catch him, trust is established, trust is proven, and everything works really well. Now, I know this is boring, and you're like, trustful, whatever, I've seen one. I thought that too, which is why you signed the waiver, right? Sweet deal. (laughs) Because the last child, if you were that parent back there going like, hey, where's our kid? And you kept nudging your husband. He's like, he's up there. I can't see him. No, he's up there. I know he is. I took someone and I said, you stand down there. And what we're going to do is practice this. And I'm going to jump off the stage. You catch me. Now, he did sign the waiver. He's okay. He's just sleeping in the back. He's got an ice uh, ice pack and whatnot. This is much easier. So we're just going to do it this way. Because it turns out it's not necessarily trust, but it's who you put your trust in. But you trust me, right? This is going to work. Remember, don't move your legs. There's a sucker if you do this right. Here we go. You can fall back. I'm here. I will catch you. Yes! Let's give him a hand. Hold up, Bo. Watermelon. It's the best flavor. We all know it. That's right. Yeah, we all... We all uh, we all participate in that way of trust, don't we? No matter who you are, there's a, a little bit of trust. We trust in things. We trust red means stop. You're pulling up to the light. You know you can stop. The next person's going to go with green. Though, of course, if someone blows through that red light, it's going to waver on that trust. It works the same way with, uh, with adults and trusting people, right? What is the uh, adult trust fail? It's not marriage, though someone said that, and I thought, hey, that'd be a pretty good example, but I actually wrote something else. The adult trust fail or the trust fall is this. It's the search for the remote. You walk in, see your spouse on the couch, you do a quick look, you want to change the channel, you want to watch something else, you can't find the remote. You look at them and what do you say? Where's the moat? Where's the remote? Where's the clicker? What have you? They say, I don't know. You say, are you sitting on it? They respond with, no. I don't care if you've been married 50 years or five minutes, the next question is, get up now. And they get up and maybe the remote's there, maybe it's not, or maybe that's just my house. But what I can tell you is that we do participate in this way of trust because trust is good. I think at its core, the idea and the practice of trust is good and trust is important. We work hard to keep it. We work hard to build it up. We value others 
who trust us and we value them when we trust them. And yet, regardless how good or how important trust is, we still break trust and we still have our trust broken. And trust is built on time and experience. Trust takes time. Trust takes experiences. And trust is kind of that combination of mind and heart working together. And those good experiences, they can flame, or they can fan that flame of trust, and it can grow to be a roaring fire. When you're hit or miss with those experiences of whether you can trust someone or not, your fire kind of dims and then grows and then dims, and one poor experience, one bad thing, can snuff out trust. And trust always seems to be kind of changing. It always seems to be given or taken on some different level. The bottom line is that as human beings, we have been designed to trust. And in a way, we depend on trust. We can't function properly, I don't think, as a society or as an individual without trust. And so when we find ourselves in those moments when our heart is troubled, when our mind is unsure of things, we cry out, who can I trust? Who should I trust? And I wish I could get up here and tell you, you can trust him, you can trust her, you can trust that investment, you can trust that one. I wish I could tell you how long it will take for you to learn how to trust again after what happened to you. But sometimes with trust, we have to kind of decide on our own and work that out on ourselves. And that question of trust is a tough one. But our text today actually addresses trust. And so if you've got your Bibles, open them up. If not, the AV team will provide the words for you on the screen, which, side note, by the way, they did not even give me a sucker to say this, but if you're wondering, like, what is my place in this world? I often question that. Your place is in the back on the AV team, pressing the bar, making sure the slides are coming up. We need you, so if you want to volunteer, that's a great way to get in. Anyways, I'm going to take us through this text, and we're going to try to see what is the way of trust for a Christian. And the first line is, do not let your hearts be troubled. What's going on? Why are the disciples' hearts troubled? Well, this is the Last Supper. They're all gathering around, and what's happened is Jesus just flat out told them they can't go where he's going. The main man, Peter, was told that he's going to deny Jesus, and Judas just was identified as a betrayer, and he got up and left. So I can tell you that this is a dinner that was not going so well. And so when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, it wasn't just coming out of nowhere. The room was probably looking a little gloomy, a little unsure, a little anxious. And then he says these words. You trust in God. That word for trust comes from the Greek word pistos. Did I say that right? Thank you. He said, good job. He did not correct me. He said, good job. We all heard it. Which also is translated trust, believe, or faith. It mixes between those three. You trust in God, trust also in me. You see, trust is the antidote for a troubled heart. What calms our heart when we're nervous? Trust. Verse 2 goes like this. In my Father's house are many rooms. Fact. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
promise. I am going there to prepare a place for you. Fact. Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, here's this promise. The reason why we probably gather here today, right? I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Then we got this question. You know the way to the place where I am going. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about being with the Father. He is not talking about the cross. And yet the disciples still don't get it, especially when they say, you can't go where I'm going, when Jesus said that to them. But here's the thing. Jesus goes for us, and we're going to know that by the end of this chapter. Look at the next verse. Thomas who kind of gets painted as a doubter because he did, but he's also pretty courageous. If you go back to chapter 11, Thomas is the one that says, let's go with him so that we too can die with him. He says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? He just doesn't get it. And Jesus answers with this. Jesus answered, I am the way. Literally, I am the way to the Father, right? I am the way and the truth and the life. See, while trust is based on time and experience, it's also based on love. See, love fuses its way into our time and experiences. And in those moments, love can sometimes make things certain, can make things cloudy, can make things chaotic, can make things comforting. But there is no separating love or the absence of it from our time and experiences. And Jesus loves us enough to make sure that no one will be separated from him because no one can come to the Father except through him. Verse 7 says this, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. While we can look at creation and we can see God, it is only in Jesus Christ in which the Lord has truly revealed himself to us for who he is and what he has done for us. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip says this, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Kind of limited thinking, right? You think back to the Old Testament where people got to see God. No one really saw God. They saw the backside of God one time with Moses and everybody, all the elders sitting at the feast. But to see God, oh man, you would be remembered in history forever. You would experience something that no one did. It's limited thinking. And besides, Jesus says this. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father don't have to doubt anymore what God looks like or what God is about. How can you say, show me the Father? Verse 10 reads like this. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Don't you trust? Don't you believe? Don't you have faith? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And we're going to see in the next eight verses that I'm just going to cruise through and read to you that this is a glimpse 
of what happens to us. While the Father is in Jesus Christ, soon the Holy Spirit will be in us by faith, and this relationship that we have will change everything that we know about the way of trust. And look at verses 11 through 18. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves, the miracles, the things that he was doing. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Notice, ask and you shall receive is not ask and get whatever you want. That in my name is a key piece there. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, another helper, to help and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. See, for the Christian, we're called to a different way of trust. A trust not in the things of this world, not in the people of this world necessarily, but a way of trust that begins and ends with Jesus and what Jesus has done. For the Christian, the way of trust is in Jesus. The way of trust is with Jesus. You can trust Jesus. He did it. Those disciples who he says, trust in me, touched his scars and saw it. Jesus rose. You can trust that you too will rise. Jesus prepares a place for you, and he will come for you. In the way of trust, Jesus' love fills all of our times and experiences, whether they are highs or lows, he does not leave. You can trust in Jesus, and you should trust in Jesus, because his love breathes salvation into us. His love heals that brokenness in our lives. His love brings peace to the troubled heart. It's not a question of can or should, it's a question of must. Must we trust Jesus? And it's a resounding yes. And if you're sitting there wondering, how do I trust in Jesus? What can I do? That's a good question to ask. Because while the enemy cannot take away your salvation, he will stop at nothing to destroy the trust that you have. And so what helps me is three things. Listen, pray, do, and repeat. Do it with me. It helps to remember. Listen, pray, do, and repeat. 
See, the New Testament is built around these things. The encounter that we just saw is built around those three things. First, you have to listen. You have to listen to what he says because your God is not silent. If you struggle with worry or anxiety, if you are uncertain about something, God is not silent. He speaks to you. If you're feeling a little good and feeling a little proud, a little like you don't need God, he speaks to that too. If you're feeling unimportant or unnoticed or not good enough, he speaks to that. He speaks words of comfort. He speaks words of value on who you are and who you belong to. Do not buy into the lie that says God is silent, God doesn't care, and he is no longer around. It's just not true. It's not true. We have his word and we have each other who remind us of those things. And in case you forget, listen. He calls for you. Pray. Pray without ceasing. What do I pray? Pray for more trust. Pray what your children's saying. Create in me a new heart, a clean heart. Renew my spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Don't feel like praying's your gift. You're not a good prayer. I don't buy that. Don't buy that garbage. That's not true. Prayer is not a spiritual gift. It is a flat-out gift that he has given each and every one of you to do. He has put his spirit in you. And if you're unsure about what to say, don't worry. The Holy Spirit groans for you and gives you the words to say. If you want to participate, open up the Psalms. Read them. Pray them back to him. Pray from your heart. Pray for your children. Pray for whatever you hold dear. Because he listens. And prayer works. You can trust that. I've seen it too many times at our healing services. When people who are completely broken and devastated come to pray and be prayed over. Because there is nowhere else that they can go and nothing else that they can trust. And they have made a good decision. And then the final piece after listen, after pray, is do. Love. If you're going to pray for God to change your heart about the way you're feeling about someone, then when you get put in that situation, pray it over and over again and watch how He does it through you. Changes you. Your love is active. Your faith is active active and living. Listen, pray, do, and then repeat every single day. That is what it means to walk in the way of trust, to listen to what your Father says about you and Jesus Christ, to pray to Him from the heart, and then to do. Do what you were created to do. Do who you were meant to be. Listen, pray, do, repeat.
Amen.